Welcome to Prepping for the Studio. If you're a musician or musical artist that wants to learn more about what goes on, how to prepare, or how to make the most out of your studio session, you're in the right place. Episode 2. Roy and Brian talk about the importance of pre-production and working on your songs before booking studio time. How do things like arrangement, key, and tempo affect the recording? Also, should you work with a producer? And what does that even look like? They finish up with a discussion of making demos. Thanks for joining. Hello, and welcome back to Prepping for the Studio, a podcast for musicians who are new to the studio and who would like to get prepared to understand what goes on and make the most out of their time and money. I'm Roy Silverstein, and I'm here with my co-host, Brian Schubel. Hey there. How you doing, Brian? I'm pretty good. Excellent. Um, yes, here we are at Rarified Recording, my home base in San Diego. And uh, thanks for joining us again, or maybe for the first time. If, if you didn't hear episode one, go back, check that one out. That's just a little introduction to who we are and what this podcast is all about. Um, which, as I mentioned, it's it's for musicians and band members and singer-songwriters and so forth that are new to the studio and want to learn what goes on and what to expect, how to prepare, and how to make the most of your time and money. Yeah, save that money. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> save the heartache and, you know, make the whole process much smoother. Yeah, low stress. Yes. So... Um, last episode, we kind of gave you a 50,000 foot view of the recording process. Um, this time, we're going to be diving into what I call step zero um, in the ebook version of this whole thing. So, if you missed the first one too, if you go to preppingforthestudio.com, you will find a download for free of an ebook that I wrote, which is actually called Mus A Musician's Guide to the Recording Studio. Um, and this podcast is kind of a conversational version of that. So uh, step zero of the recording process uh, is really like the songwriting and the pre-production and demo stuff that you would do before you even stepped into the studio itself. Preparation. Yeah. It's actually super key. Yeah. Um, because as we, as we talked about last time, I think uh, the number one thing is the song. Yeah. And the more prepared you are, the more time you can have uh, good studio time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily a songwriting genius <laughs> at all. But you can uh, play. I can play. I've written songs. Um, but, you know, the podcast is not here to tell you how to write a song, per se. Um, there's probably other podcasts about that, or other books, you know. Personally, I think, you know, songs are are you know they can be anything you know and mm -hmm. some people want to write hit songs and they're looking to you know kind of be of the moment and the zeitgeist and capture that and other people are making like pure art and mm -hmm. i think it's all cool you yeah know? me too yeah so i think i say do do whatever you want as far as the songwriting goes but you there are things to keep in mind <laughs> yeah. as it relates to the studio um, and one of them is arrangement and you know how that comes into play you got to think kind of sonically so if you think about sound it's just vibrations 
in the air, you know? Mm. Low frequencies are, it's the air vibrating at a kind of low rate and high frequencies, the air is vibrating at a high rate and mid frequencies somewhere in between. Um, so what can happen if you have a bunch of sounds, different instruments that occupy that the same frequency space yep. is you get what's a phenomenon, phenomenon called frequency masking. Mm-hmm. Um, where the louder one of those two would kind of dominate and you wouldn't be able to hear the, the quieter one as well. So this is how it kind of comes in play as far as arrangement and and recording is um, you're going to want to think about how your the instruments that are happening at any given time are overlapping. And if you put a bunch of stuff in the same frequency space all happening at the same time, it's going to sound kind of jumbled. Yeah, cluttered and a mess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So some of the um, great songs, like, you'll notice, like, everything has its moment to, like, shine. Like, there's, there's places, um, either, you know, moments of time or just instruments that occupy, you know, the, the low end or the high end or, or the mid-range, you know, without too much competition. So everything is very clear um so i think it's important to to think about that as you're writing your song and how what instruments you're going to have in the song Mm -hmm. and the parts totally yeah and you know these things can change over time Mm -hmm. like you can have a real shift Mm -hmm. um uh from one instrument to the next and things can pop in and out and you might find also what you thought would work in your pre-production once you're in the studio go ah oh, it's just not working you know this is true yeah you have to be flexible um you know this this is great time to do a demo you know which we'll talk about towards the end of this episode but demos let you actually hear you know what you're getting and mm-hmm. you can actually have a chance to evaluate and then make changes um, before you even step in the studio because you, you don't want to be you want to limit there's number of surprises mm-hmm. in the studio itself when you, the, you know, the clock is ticking. Yeah. yeah. Now, when you talk arrangement, are mm-hmm. you thinking also tempo or is that sort of like... that? That's kind of the next okay. subject, yeah. but, but yeah, I'm thinking about, uh, instruments, you know, what instruments are playing. Cause, cause every instrument like has a sort of a range mm-hmm. of notes that it can play. So, you know, a range of frequencies that it, it can play. Um, and some are huge, like piano mm-hmm. has a huge range. Fills right? a lot of space. Yeah. Like you go from way down the low notes to the very high notes. Um, something like, um, a violin or something is much more constricted. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that can be a thing where you'll notice if you're recording, um, and you're trying to fit something like a piano into your production but you have like big thick guitars in there already it can actually be difficult mm-hmm. for you to really appreciate what mm-hmm. the piano is playing right mm-hmm. totally yeah so think about that sort of thing like the piano should if you want piano but you've got these other you know things that might be competing with it maybe the piano part is in a certain part of the piano yeah a certain register yeah yeah where it can actually sit and you can actually hear it yeah also, if you're having a, if you want a piano and you find a, like a Steinway or a big piano doesn't actually fit, you can always say, hey, well, what about a Rhodes or what about a Wurlitzer or what about 
a yeah. synth playing the part that's a little smaller and not quite as huge, you know? Totally. Yeah. So, you know, you might also think about like classical music, like some of the greatest composers, like they really knew how to use that, the orchestra, mm -hmm. you know, all the different instruments and, and they all kind of fit into certain spots. Because mm -hmm. you kind of almost have to think of yourself as one of these composers. That's right, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the other thing, unless, do you have anything else you want to no, add about arrangement? You, well, it's funny because when you mention arrangement, my mind immediately goes to intro, verse, chorus, intro, verse, chorus. Oh, yeah. I think of that. That would be the structure of the song, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know what? That's very important too. Yeah, you want to make sure that is figured out. Like you don't want to have a 32-bar intro unless you're a jam band. <laughs> right. But if you're a pop band or you want to get to the verse, you know. Or get to the chorus. You want listeners don't to. Don't bore us. Yeah, don't bore us, get us to the chorus. <laughs> yes, we, I, I, maybe that should be the first thing, actually, is the structure of the song. You want that figured out. Mm -hmm. um, and that can vary. I mean, obviously, there's. There's the, the typical verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, mm -hmm. verse, chorus, or whatever. You know, there's... <laughs> <laughs> um, solo. <laughs> yeah, so, don't forget the solo. Um, but yeah, you know, that, that might tie in with your lyrics, and um, which we're going to talk about as well. Um, but yeah, the structure of the song, you want that figured out, and the arrangement. The arrangement kind of affects the recording more, I think, in terms of... Um, like I said, the overlapping frequency thing. Yeah. Because um, engineers can only do so much. Um, you know, basically they might be forced to sort of EQ out parts of the piano, let's say, that are just like adding a bunch of mud, mm -hmm. adding a bunch of, you know, frequencies that are getting in the way of another part. They might just have to kind of... Yeah, the tuba can't fit in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of mixing is this type of work where yeah. where you're finding where instruments fit in the big frequency spectrum that we have to listen to, which is essentially 20 hertz, 20,000 hertz um, for most humans. And, well, most of us lose our top end. <laughs> I think only children can really hear up to 20,000. And dogs. Yeah, and dogs can hear even higher. Um, but yeah, a lot of mixing is actually figuring out like, well, how, you know, where am I going to push this sound so it has its own space? But if you if you do some of that work up front, then there's less of the mixer having to like EQ things weird to like make them work and mm -hmm. what have you. So, yeah, the other thing I was going to mention, sort of related to this, is actually a comment from. Dennis Weinreich, thank you, Dennis, um, who, <laughs> when I was writing the book, he's a great engineer that's worked with like Queen and all these people for, in England. Um, he was saying like, he often found people trying to cram too many like uh, ideas into one song. Amen to that. Yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you hear things on records like, fun things like backward cymbals, cymbal swells, telephone effects like all these like cool little production kind of things mm -hmm. and like you might be tempted to like i'm gonna do all of them you know in one <laughs> song <laughs> but it just doesn't make sense always you know do do things when they when they add to the meaning of the song i think and when there's a place for them to be appreciated um you know as opposed to just doing something for the sake of doing it yeah so yeah consider when more is more and when 
glasses actually more. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, so that that's what I had to say about arrangement and and that idea of you know, don't cram too many mm -hmm. things in one. Um tempo was the next thing I was going to bring up. I think we talked about it a little bit last time. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um but it's very important that you find the right tempo for your song mm -hmm. so that it doesn't feel sluggish or too fast. You got to experiment with that, you know. Yeah, if the words are fitting, you don't want the singer to have to try to go too fast where there's no feeling or no vibe. Yeah, they can't even get the words out and yeah. then you can't even understand them. Um, so, yeah, tempo. Um, I think every song probably has, you know, a little range where it can work, you mm -hmm. know. Although you could do a version that's slow, but it's going to have a totally different vibe. Yeah. Obviously. Um, so, you know, this is where demos, again, can, can help because mm -hmm. you might find as you do the demo that this feels this feels way too slow or, yeah you know, and you I think, could, yeah and i think one of the things that i find is bands that write a song and then they're out playing it live a lot of times the tempo might be too fast because they're excited and they're playing yes. it on stage and the you know audience is cheering or whatever and then they come in the studio and it just feels too fast you, you might want to step it down a little bit Unless, oh, yeah. unless you've made it work, you know. Right, at yeah. Fast no, that was my experience playing live in a band is we'd all be excited at the show and it would just be way fast. <laughs> <laughs> way fast to the point where sometimes you couldn't even like keep up. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. So, yeah, but in the studio situation, you can actually like know what you want, right? You come in with a BPM, a beats per minute, um, you know, written out and conveyed to your engineer like this is what mm -hmm. especially if you're working with a click track um which is a whole other thing that um we should talk about too is whether you should work with the click track but um but yeah having that figured out and then then you actually have you know a solid timing reference and you can not be too fast and not be too slow um because you don't really want to try to change those later Mm-hmm. Yep. Like what's your experience, Brian? Like Not trying good. to use <laughs> Not good. stretching, audio stretching and because we have these tools. Yeah. And Pro Tools and other programs for it's, stretching things and shrinking them and Yeah. It's quantizing, blah blah blah. I've had to do it a few times, but usually if you have to go too much too far, mm -hmm. then you start hearing the little audio artifacts. Yes, exactly. Weirdness. And then if you do a VSO thing, then you're you know, the pitch changes. So Yeah. I mean so that that is the one, the old school way of changing the, the tempo would be what's called very speed, mm -hmm. which is when everyone worked on tape, like you can change the tape speed. And so that does change the the pitch mm -hmm. when you do that, but it can be a cool effect. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that, that can be cool because it, it doesn't necessarily like create artifacts. Like when when you try to do this other stuff in Pro Tools or whatever, um, where you you're not where the algorithms try to keep the pitch the same, but yet make the timing <laughs> <laughs> stretched or shrunk. Yeah. Like that's where you get these weird audio artifacts. Yeah, and you really don't want to go down that path unless it's it's rough. Yeah, I mean, my suggestion, and I worked with one producer who would do this, is 
you try different tempos when you're ready to cut the song. You have a tempo, let's say it's 120, which is what everything's default to. Mm -hmm. You try 120, then try 122, try 118. Just go back and forth and see where it all it feels the best. Mm -hmm. With the whole band giving input, and generally you'll find it, I think. Yeah. Like again, like I said, again, you, you could do that in a demo. Mm -hmm. So then yeah, you don't true. have to do that in your recording session when, true. when the clock is ticking. Yep. Um, so yeah, the very speed thing is is interesting, but um, it it's it's kind of an effect. Like, um, but yeah, you don't you don't you want to avoid <laughs> doing the weird stretching and what have you. Um, now back to click track mm -hmm. for a second. Um, I mean, the great thing about click tracks is, you know, it helps you play very consistent tempo, right? Mm -hmm. But the bad thing is that it kind of locks you in. It's harder to put in the human push and pull that you might want to do. Mm -hmm. um, so you got to think about that for your song. Does it need to have a lot of kind of slowing down here, speeding up there? Like, is it is that important? To you and your song or are you is it the type of thing where no it, it really needs to be a, like a robot you know mm -hmm. and different kinds of music i think kind of fall into different categories yeah so definitely consider that um in this stage too so you kind of know when you get to the the session you know what you're going to do are you going to play to a click or are you going to maybe just count it off mm -hmm. yeah so, so you start at some consistent yeah. place at least yeah. Then let it kind of ebb and flow. Yeah. And be aware also if you're playing with a live drummer, if he can play with a click too. Because yes. if he can't play with a click, you may not want to use it because it can cause a lot of trouble. It's just more trouble than it's worth sometimes. I think in another episode, we're going to go deeper into click tracks. But yeah, they're tricky. Mm -hmm. And you're going to want to practice if, you're, if your drummer or in your band, but especially the drummer is not very confident with the click, you're gonna wanna practice with a click because yep. man, it can throw people off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And when you're really on it, it actually is hard to hear the click. Because Disappears. yeah, it kind of like all the snare hits and cover it. If you're really, <laughs> if the snare is on right on certain it's you know, it's just like where'd the click go? Oh, it's 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 masked. Yeah. Amplitude masking that then instead of frequency. But um yeah so it can be tricky to know am i on or am i off because <laughs> it's you're if you're dead on then you kind of kind of disappears so it's funny yeah okay any other things you'd say about tempo brian uh, i don't think so okay i mean there's also and you said we're going to talk more about tempo so you know you can also do the thing where you program different tempos for different yes, sections thanks for mentioning that i i did i do have that in the ebook and if you're the type of band that, that does the, the kind of mathy thing where <laughs> or maybe it's not mathy, but some you know, some bands are like all over the place with with the uh the tempo changes and the signature time signature changes, which is the other thing you want to know when you go into your session. Like if if you're moving that around a lot, um you're going to want to map that out. You're going to want to know where those things change because especially if you're going to work with the click, you're you need to be able to communicate that to the engineer mm -hmm. on the session and they can create a, a tempo map mm -hmm. in whatever the program is where the click track will actually change at the right time mm -hmm. to that new time signature or new tempo. Yeah. 
Um, so you really need to know that stuff ahead of time instead of trying to figure it out on the fly. Yeah. You're going to waste a lot of time. Totally. And then when she, yeah. And then you don't even know if it's going to work if you're doing it on the fly. Yeah. It can be tricky to program those things. It's kind of weird. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. That, that really is important. Um, and I was going to move on to, uh, to key, which again, we talked about a little bit about this in episode one, the importance of finding the right key for your song. Number one, because of the vocalist range, probably mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you need to make sure that the singer can actually hit the notes. Um, and that's important. <laughs> yeah. And again, we have tools that can fix these things, but if your singer is straining to like get to the note, it's going to sound strained. Yeah. So, um, they need to be able to, to get there, even if maybe they're, you know, they, they're a little off. That's where the auto tune and Melodyne mm -hmm. and these tools that we have can mm -hmm. help, you know, mm -hmm. but if it's way out of range, it's just not going to sound good. Yeah. Just change the key. Yeah. <laughs> so finding the right key is important. And then there's certain instruments that just have, you know, certain keys that are difficult to play in. Mm-hmm. And so like horns and strings, sometimes um, you're going to want to think about that and talk to whoever's playing those instruments in mm -hmm. the band, or if you're going to hire someone, you know, have a conversation about, about that sort of thing. Yep. So you don't get into a situation where they're like, uh, that's like really difficult to play on this instrument. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah. And then um, the, other, the other thing that I find really fascinating um, is there's a whole thing about the emotions of different musical keys. Have you ever encountered this? Oh, I think I've heard about this. Yeah. Now I'm going to take a moment to, to find this website. Here we go. Um, just, just do a Google search for like emotions of musical keys <laughs> and you'll find various websites that talk about this and I'll read some of these and there's some of them are hilarious. Okay. C major, completely pure. Its character is innocence, simplicity, Naivety, children's talk. <laughs> that makes sense because, yeah, I've experienced this playing like C major. It's it's very childlike with your son, yeah, yeah, yeah. or just back in the day when I was learning piano, right? Um, C minor, declaration of love, and at the same time, the lament of unhappy love, <laughs> all languishing, longing, sighing of the lovesick soul lies in this key. <laughs> so this is from some. Um, wmitch.edu, Western Michigan. I'm not even sure, but there's so many different websites that have these things. Okay, how about uh, D flat major, a leering key degenerating into grief and rapture. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> it cannot laugh, but it can smile. It cannot howl, but it can at least grimace. It's, cry it's crying. Consequently, only unusual characters and feelings can be brought out in this key. <laughs> That's pretty wild. I don't know how much weight to put onto these things, yeah. but I find it really fascinating. Well, it it could inspire you to write a certain type of song in a certain key, you know, yeah. if you think about it. Yeah, if you read through these, D major, the key of triumph, of hallelujahs, of war cries, of victory rejoicing. Thus, the inviting symphonies, the marches, holiday songs, and heaven rejoicing choruses are set in this key. Like maybe that's true, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's there's might be reasons to pick certain keys. It it it's really weird to me that this is the case, but it's wild. Yeah, yeah. Like what is it about? That seems like totally unexplainable to me. Be interesting to go find a song that has 
of sort of vibe that you're talking about here and see what key it is and see if it match up if it lines up yeah it would be interesting <laughs> yeah it's just, to me it's like why why would this be the case but there must be something yeah if if these things are are true and and maybe they're not like absolutes but yeah. you know i mean i think it makes me think of blues you know blues has a very sort of a sound to the the key yeah there's a certain i mean there's a certain structure to the blues seventh chords and yeah all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. yeah it's true and now a word from our sponsor rarified recording oh that's me I would be remiss if I didn't mention my studio, Rarified Recording, and the services I offer there. The studio itself was built from the ground up, from the masterful plans of Mr. West Show, so it sounds fantastic both in the control room and the live room. A 32-channel Neve Genesis console holds center court and is complemented by a wide array of outboard gear, instruments, and microphones. Your music will be in good company. If you live in the San Diego area, just head on over to rarifiedrecording.com to learn more and book a tour. You can also hear examples of my tracking and mixing work. If you aren't lucky enough to live in San Diego, let me be the first to suggest the idea of a destination recording experience. San Diego is BBB approved. The Better, Better Business, Business Bureau? Bureau? No, beaches, burritos, and beer. Even if you're not a beach person, who's to complain with temperatures that are very often in the 70s? Even the winter months are averaging in the mid-60s. And being relatively dry, rain is unlikely to get in your way. The studio is very centrally located, and you can get to just about anywhere in the area in 15 to 20 minutes. Even Mexico. And while burritos are technically not a food you find in Mexico itself, San Diego has taken the concept to blissful culinary heights. You can't go hardly 100 yards here without running into a little taco shop that will be 10 times better than whatever options you have in your town. If Mexican isn't your thing, no worries. There are tons of great restaurants in the area, including a barbecue place three blocks away that rivals anything I've tried in Texas. And adjacent to it is one of over 150 craft breweries in San Diego. If you love beer, we gotcha. The West Coast IPA style is a specialty here, but we've got brewers doing all kinds of beers, and several have tasting rooms in walking distance. Did I mention that accommodations are available? So head on over to rarifiedrecording.com and reach out for a quote today. That's R-A-R-E-F-I-E-D recording.com. And now back to the episode. Okay, what about lyrics? Super important mm -hmm. because a lot of people out there, they really listen to lyrics. Yeah. I'm not one of them. Me, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm probably with you there, Roy. I, I tend to listen to the groove and get the vibe, but I may yeah. eventually come around to the lyric. Yeah. They are super important. The thing, I think the thing about engineers like you and me is that we're so into the sound of things. Yeah. That right. we're listening more to that than mm -hmm. we are to the lyrics, but most people are they're listening to the lyrics mm -hmm. i think probably the majority of people um i'm listening to the what do you call it the, the the rhythm of the lyric right what do you call that it's like there's a word for that but the cadence the cadence yeah. of the lyric is what i'm hearing most of the time and how that's working with the band mm -hmm. you know yes it's very important yeah the the whole the way that the the words the melody and the cadence work out because it can be tricky sometimes to fit your lyrics into the rhythm mm -hmm. of the song. Like you may actually have to modify your lyrics mm -hmm. in a way that you wouldn't normally, mm -hmm. just so that it comes out where it fits with yeah. the rhythm. There's a pocket. Yeah. You gotta find that pocket. 
Yeah. So so you have to work on those kind of things besides the lyrics themselves, sort of how the how they work with the melody and 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 the timing of everything. And pitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, some some words can be hard to sing, you know, and mm -hmm. give give a real note to. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you do, when you do your demos, you'll find that out, you know? Yeah. Um, so. The other thing I find is that a lot of times singers will have too many filler words, you know, and, uh, or where sometimes it doesn't need to be there. You just go right into the word. I'd say your lyrics should work as poetry. Mm -hmm. Some of the best lyrics could be just read mm -hmm. as poems. Mm -hmm. and and they they just work that way um, because there's not much difference between song lyrics and poetry, really. Mm -hmm. It's um, true. Yeah. So, you know, there's different styles of songs. Some are much more storytelling-like, and some are very sort of, what, is, what does this mean? Abstract. <laughs> Abstract, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, we get to see what you're going for. Um, but, yeah, I think... I think the best lyrics kind of work even just re being read as, as poems, mm -hmm. you know? Totally. Um, so yeah, there's that. Um, anything else you can think of for mm. lyrics? Oh, I, I know what yes. I would say is I know a lot of, a lot of people talk about the stories of like different bands and Beatles and when they're, they have a song in their head, but they don't know the lyrics. A lot of times they'll do is they'll just mumble things or right. say words like scrambled eggs and bacon <laughs> and just don't really have the words, but they have the track kind of coming up. And then once they get the track going, then they start thinking, okay, well, I, I've got to put real words in there. So that is a good method to work on the melody mm -hmm. before you have the lyrics you can just use nonsense words mm -hmm. at first or not even words just sort of um, grunts and oohs and outs yeah, and exactly. and, yeah um so then at least you know you can work through the rest of the song you can figure out kind of what you want the melody to be mm -hmm. um which is you know with the lyric the, the top line melody is again like probably what most people are really listening to <laughs> yeah um, so you want both of those to be super strong mm -hmm. and then, yeah, then you eventually you do need, if you're going to, unless you're doing instrumental music, you do, need, <laughs> <laughs> you do need lyrics eventually. So you don't want to figure those out in the studio though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which I mean, some famous singers and so forth, I think they have done that because they've had the budget Yeah, where they've just been like, I'm going to go off and I'm going to write lyrics real quick. You know, they, maybe that was part of the process of like putting this pressure on themselves yeah. at the very end to yeah. to just write write the lyrics like right before they actually have to yeah. sing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's that wouldn't be suggested. Yeah. If you're trying to make have a smooth session. But that shows you they're really trying to come up with something that's important and that means something and not just throw something in there. Mm -hmm. You know, I've worked with several people where they're like, it's, I just don't have that line yet. And they'll take their time and make sure it fits and and sometimes interchange words, you know, mm -hmm. just to make it right. Yeah. That's part of the art, you know. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Um, sonics is what I was going to get into next. So Sonics, this now we're getting into more of less of the songwriting, but more of your vision for how you want the song to sound. So references can be really important here. Yeah. 
Definitely. Yeah, like listening to stuff that you know and you love and thinking about your song and, and you as a musical artist and, you know, what what do you kind of want to sound like? Not mm -hmm. that you're going to copy it exactly or anything like that, but, you know, mm -hmm. what's informing your sound? Is it going to be something aggressive in your face or subdued and gentle? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be super roomy and reverby or super dead? Mm -hmm. um, you like stuff dark, you like stuff bright, you like stuff really clean and clear or really distorted or somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. Is there certain eras of music that mm. you really love? 70s, 80s, that they have distinctive sounds. Yeah, totally. Now you, so you worked in the 70s, right? No. No, 80s. <laughs> 80s was Dating, my starting point. Trying to make you older than you. Yeah, I kind of saw, I used to wish I had because that was really a magical time. It was kind of an incredible time because analog gear had really gone to this great point. Mm-hmm. And then 80s things started to shift. Yeah, new mid new way. A lot of synthesizers. Yeah, a lot of digital synthesizers. Digital gear was starting to come the into beginning the beginning of digital gear. Yeah, and fair lights and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the 80s had a, a particular thing going on. There. Totally. Did, yeah. Did you work on some very 80s? Oh yeah, I mean, if you think about gated reverbs on snare drums, you mm -hmm. know that that's very 80s. I think where the power station drum sound. That whole era, yeah. reverb, you know. Yeah, very big reverbs on the snares. Yeah. And the beginning of these digital synthesizers. David yeah. Bowie, the space station, all that kind of crazy delay stuff. Mm -hmm. and flangers and phasers. Yeah. It was, it was a time of a lot of experimenting too, although the Beatles did that in the early 70s, yeah. 60s. Right. But Peter Gabriel, I mean. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, there, it was an interesting time. It's it sounds dated sometimes now, but it's also you. There's some interesting sounds in there. <laughs> that you can well, it was also from. it was also the time of pretty big budgets. I remember when I first started, and we would have a catering service where <laughs> you would have just a long spread of food just yeah. all day long, every day, and we would take a whole day to get a bass drum sound. So. Yeah. It was insane. Wow. You'd build tunnels. You'd say, no tunnel. Let's put the tunnel back, try a different kit, put different snares up, different wow. toms, different mics, you know, you'd yeah. different place in the room. I mean, it was nuts. Different time. Yeah. So much more money available mm -hmm. to make these records. And, yeah. You know, those out there listening, you know, you're probably like self funded, like, you know, yeah. And you're just not going to have that luxury of time. But you, things. but you could do that in your pre-production. You know, if you your drummer exactly. has three s drum sets, see which one works for what song, if you want to go there anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Or your bass player has like flat wound strings and a hollow body and then a, a, you know. Yeah, exactly. Try different all sounds. these instruments, they do have subtly different sounds. Mm -hmm. Different drums, different snare drums, different, uh, yeah, That's basses, the, guitars, amps. Yeah, that's the one thing I still to this day I'm anymore when I go and record a band, it's one snare drum through the whole record. If I'm doing ten songs, they mm -hmm. use the same snare. Yeah, just uh, it's not thought about, but the snare does make a difference on how it's hitting the song and the key of the song and the singer. All of that stuff so important. Yeah, yeah. So these days it's it's harder to find the time to 
make those changes, I guess. Yeah, details like that. Right. But you can also do things in post that, that are pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, you can basically replace the snare drum <laughs> with a sample. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the closer you can get it, um, if you're coming into a studio, you know, the closer you can get it to how you want it, the better. Mm -hmm. And yeah, um, this this is something you can think about um, before you even step in the studio is, mm -hmm. you know, do some demos, try out some different sounds. And e even if you maybe are using samples, um, at least you'll find something that like, oh yeah, I really like how this kind of snare hits. Like, mm -hmm. you know, is it like a little piccolo snare or is it a big fat wind <laughs> snare, yeah. metal snare, all these things. And then, um, yeah, there's so many opportunities to, to uh, figure out exactly what you want and then be able to communicate those things mm -hmm. to the engineer ahead of time. Well, yeah. ahead of time, because the best thing to do is to have a conversation with whoever's going to be recording you and let them know what the references are and and play them demos and that's really good yeah yeah and talk about what you're going for so they can make a plan in their head or mm -hmm. a paper of what mics they're going to use and mm -hmm. where they're going to put them because all these things influence that mm -hmm. kind of stuff yeah it's funny because as you're talking i'm constantly thinking real drums but a mm -hmm. lot of the work we do too is not real drums or it's just loops or different yeah. things, but there's still other things you can do to treat the song to let's say you want something really dead and dry for one song and then the next song is gonna be very ambient and reverby. Mm -hmm. So there's samples and different effects you can do to it so that the engineer has a head start. He already knows what he's going for rather than, you wanna do what? Oh, well let me set that up. You know, there's there's 30 minutes gone, you know? Yeah, totally. The more that the engineer knows what's coming at them from the beginning, the more prepared they're going to be and the more likely you're going to get mm -hmm. what you want out of it. Um, definitely think about Sonics and communicate those um, to your engineer ahead of time. Um, now let's talk about uh, working with the producer because all these steps of arrangement, all these things we talked about, arrangement and, uh, and tempo and key, mm -hmm. and all these things, you can get help from a producer with all these things, mm -hmm. if you want, you know, whether or not you work with a producer is, is a pretty big decision. I mean, first there's the budget, mm -hmm. you know, can you even afford to hire another person? Mm -hmm. Now some producers nowadays, especially more than ever are engineers too. Yeah. So you might be finding someone, if you think you really need help with these things, you might be finding a producer engineer. Mm -hmm. Um, who would kind of play both roles. Yeah. Um, but, you know, are they charging for the time that they might be giving you input um, mm -hmm. before you even step in the studio? You have to yeah. kind of know. Um, yeah, but, it's good to draw all those lines out before you, that's the other thing, the business side of it, have that sorted out. That's yes. a whole nother one. <laughs> yeah, at some point we're gonna have to talk about budget because I think one thing I want to add to the ebook is what to do when you're short on budget, where to focus. But um, but yeah, the uh, the producer thing, you don't have to work with a producer. And, and in fact, if you're a new artist, I kind of feel like there's a, a self-discovery period. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. You know, where it might be better not to work with a producer at the very beginning of your explorations of doing music mm -hmm. because you're figuring yourself out. Mm -hmm. If If you start working with a producer right away, like, and you don't even know what your vision is, mm -hmm. 
you know, you might not end up where you want to be in the yeah. end. Yeah, and if it's your first time in the studio, it's there's a lot of eye-opening things that happen. Yeah, you're going to learn a lot, and you're going to start forming your own musical identity. Mm -hmm. And having some of that before you get a producer involved, I think, is is probably a good idea. But if you're completely lost and you have no idea what you want to do, then, you know, you could make the argument that a producer could be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Or have, uh, a, have a really good engineer that's or experienced, I should say, mm -hmm. that can help. That can well. help. Because when there's no producer, the engineer essentially becomes the de facto producer. Yeah. Um, or whoever is around that has an opinion on the recording session. Mm -hmm. um, that's just a matter of course, like without anyone else driving the ship and kind of steering things and, and creating a direction, like it's the engineer and it's it that ends up making all the, even like little decisions on what mics to use and where to mm -hmm. put them yep. that end up affecting the sound of the recording. Mm -hmm. um, so you gotta keep in mind that with when there is no producer, there's de facto producers essentially, mm -hmm. whether that, and that could be yourself or your bandmates too, you know? Yeah. Um, but you know, choosing a producer is, is tricky because you got to find someone that you gel with, you know, someone you trust, someone who you respect. Um, and it was the right fit because there's a lot of different kinds of producers. We were talking about this before mm -hmm. we started recording, right? You know, there's producers that are very involved and like basically are like co-songwriters, mm -hmm. you know, um, there's other producers who sit on the couch and hardly say anything <laughs> <laughs> until there's like something they love or they hate, mm -mm. you know, um, in the rap and hip hop world, like producer usually means the, the person who's making the beat, the beat. Yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and then there's producers who, you know, maybe nothing to do with the songwriting, but they're they're kind of like a sounding board yep. to the artists and giving them feedback. And, you know, um, some producers uh, play on your session. Yeah, right. Some don't. Um, so what it is that you're looking for as far as how much involvement the producer has, I think is important mm -hmm. to think about. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of dependent on who you are as an artist and what you're looking for you know, what you would need from a producer. So that would kind of direct to you and what type of producer you'd want, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Have you done any like production types? Though? I have, and I usually go with the, um, the production where there's somebody in the band who's pretty strong that they know what they want, but they mm -hmm. need, they need a soundboard or, yeah. um, some ideas, you know, I, I don't, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't call myself a producer really, but but I have gotten production credit on things because I've been that that mm -hmm. sounding board for people. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's an important part too. A lot of people think, oh, well, a soundboard, and but that, it's important because you're you're telling the artist or the the band that take was awesome. That was the take. Yeah. Believe me, you know, and and because you've been sitting in this room for years doing the same thing, you you know when you hear a good take. It's, yeah, an experienced engineer. Is, I mean, they've experienced good and bad music yeah <laughs> and so they have their own taste formed by all this yeah and they you can rely on them um to give you some feedback and yeah and sometimes i i just have ideas like i'm just something pops in my head oh it'd be cool if you mm -hmm. use this pedal or you know 
have you thought about uh, harmony that goes kind of like this? Or yeah. you never know. When I I just randomly get inspired um, mm-hmm. to uh, have some kind of input like that. And I think it's good to have. I I, I like having a producer around because it's it's good to have somebody in the room who's looking at the overall. Mm-hmm. He's walking in here in the overall. He's not focused on the the vocal, or he's not focused on yes. the kick drum, or he's not focused. Which and is what the engineer typically is. Yeah, typically kind of micro focused on whatever's being recorded at that moment. Everybody's kind of got their part, and so the producer is looking over everything. He's also, I mean, it, I guess it depends on his his role, but he's the guy watching the budget, making sure all the pieces are at the studio when they need to be. Mm-hmm. The band players are out of bed and on their way to the studio <laughs> on time. Yes, I mean, session this, players are hired and they're actually coming yeah. and they're getting paid. Uh, yeah, and people get paid, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff they oversee. Yeah. Depending on the producer, once again, you know. Right. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it is your music, and you have to be the one who is okay with what what is being Mm -hmm. created here because your name's on the record. Mm -hmm. Um, If the producer really, really hates what you're trying to push, then maybe they weren't the right person. They can bail out, you know? Right. Um, Hopefully it won't come to that, but... um, yeah. So And you should you will have disagreements too and that's healthy I think, you know, mm-hmm. cuz generally the songwriter or the singer will win out because I think it's their song. Yeah. But the producer may be pushing to say no, 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 you can't you can't do that. And you know, that's for you guys to work out. But expect yeah. those times. Yeah, there there will be moments where there's disagreement and it's important to listen to perspectives and a lot of people will say I think that it's it's faster usually to just try an idea than it is to argue about it. <laughs> that's right. That's a good point. It really is. <laughs> to be open to these other ideas and and just let's just try it. Yeah. You know. Totally. Because you, sometimes you don't really know until you do. If you're set up. Yeah. Especially if yeah, you're ready to go like it's, if it's if it's a super involved crazy thing, then maybe maybe it's more of a discussion. But mm-hmm. if it's not that hard to like try the thing that mm-hmm. someone's suggesting, just do it. Yeah, just do it and and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you could really get in the long like back and forth of why it's, uh, they yeah. think it's good, you don't, and like <laughs> yeah. And a good producer will often go along with you if you have an idea like oh, I'm gonna try this. Um, and- hopefully they're game for that. If they're not, then yeah, again, maybe you have the wrong person because they're not even willing to try your idea. I think one of the things I would say, and this is really totally up to everybody, but I wouldn't ask your best friend to be your producer or your, your soulmate, or (laughs) I think I'd really look for somebody who's, that's what they do as a job. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think you'll get a better uh, soundboard in that respect especially if they have a lot of experience. Yeah. I mean, sure. there's nothing wrong with having your best friend being your producer if that's how your relationship works. Mm-hmm. And all that. But I'm just, I think, all in all, it's best to get... Yeah, somebody. someone who's not... Who's kind of looking out for the music, number one, mm-hmm. and the song. Totally. And who isn't afraid to maybe tell you something that you don't want to hear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, because you need that kind of honesty... Mm-hmm. If you're gonna get the most, most out of your songs, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, that that is good advice. All right, let's talk about making demos. It's 
like we've said, it's the it's it's the chance to to actually hash out a lot of these things that we've talked about um, before you step in the studio on your own time on your own dime, um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's easier than ever, you know, now that we have uh, GarageBand, for instance, like yeah, kind of comes for free on Apple's products at least. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of other like free or really cheap recording software you can get. There's pretty dang cheap audio yeah. interfaces and microphones that you can get totally programs that aren't too difficult to understand how to use mm-hmm. um so there's not much excuse anymore for making demos at home <laughs> that's right and and the last thing you want to do is make a demo at a at an actual studio these days i think yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's just a kind of a waste of time it used to be a thing i mean it used to be like demo mm-hmm. studios sure you'd go cut your demos and it's it was very important uh part of like getting a record deal mm-hmm. um and they were cheaper studios and mm-hmm. you know you'd go in there you bang it out and you'd have something to show for yourself yeah and that was like kind of the only way more or less that you could do that but yeah now, I, used to, I used to do that a lot went off off when I wasn't working and there was a stu- a room open, they would let us go in and record bands. And so we'd go in and, and make demos with bands. And that was how we got experience, mm-hmm. you know, which is great. But yeah, I mean, that's basically how I taught myself to record is I just was home recording, you know, yeah. and doing it for my own projects. And not that I ever then later went into a studio to, <laughs> to record it. I was just, right. it was, you know, we were just, put it out on a cdr or whatever this was before streaming and all that right um but yeah but the idea is just to bash it out get the ideas down and move Mm -hmm. on (laughs) yeah yeah and then maybe you do another version you know you can do multiple demos Mm -hmm. um and you don't need you don't need fancy equipment to do Mm -hmm. it i mean in worst case you can do a voice memo on your phone yeah Totally. At least you get the idea down. Acoustic guitar or whatever. Yeah. If the, the song should work on its most basic instrument, like mm-hmm. acoustic guitar or piano, whatever it is. Or a beat. Yeah. Yeah. Or just singing it. I mean, sometimes people do these voice memos so they can, they can remember a melody or, yeah. or just remember this like basic song that they just came up with, which is a good idea. Yeah. But it, yeah, the best songs work even in this very stripped down yeah. way, you know. I have, I have a big word for us, which everybody continues to fight. Yes, demoitis. Oh yes, <laughs> this is mentioned in the book. Yeah. Is it okay? Yep. Yes. Well, what is demoitis, Brian? Well, it's where let's say you're you have your demo, and there's certain things in the demo that you absolutely love because you've been listening to it in your car for months mm-hmm. before going into the studio to actually make the the master of that song, yes. and you fall in love with it. Could be a number of things. It could be the way you sang it, or mm-hmm. played a guitar, or there's a guitar lick, or a reverb on the voice, or there's so many different things that you could be attached to. Yes, that when it comes time to make it in the studio you're craving to hear that sound Mm -hmm. and you're stuck on it and it really can be hard to get over that barrier yes i guess this is the dark side of making demos yes (laughs) you can get stuck on how it sounds and and when you go to do the real recording you're like that's not like the demo it's just not right yeah but it's it's a bit of a problem to get over it because you have to be able to uh let go a little bit of that Mm -hmm. because 
um, the demo probably, I mean, yes, there might be some aspect of it that's great, but you need to be able to, to evaluate the new recording on its own merits. And that you mm-hmm. can take some mind tricks almost yeah. to like forget about the, the demo. and Yeah, the only <laughs> other option mm-hmm. is to record the demo like it's a master. <laughs> but then that means, you know, gear. Yeah, that's the, what you're coming yeah. to a studio for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so. it's not just the gear, it's the experience yeah. in the ear. So yep. it's hard um, to do that. But occasionally I have heard of people flying st- particular parts mm-hmm. in from their demos mm-hmm. because they just couldn't get the performance the same or the sound or whatever it was. Yep. And so there might be like, as long as it works in the timing wise, but you know there might be cases where you can actually if you have an isolated track of the guitar or whatever, mm-hmm. you can like bring it into the real recording and yeah. just use it. Yep. Occasionally totally. this does happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And this is where tempo and pitch can come into play too. Cause if it's a different key, then you're going to have to. Yeah. You're going to have to use the different... tools to change that, which might sound weird. So yeah. ideally your demo is done at the, at the, the right key <laughs> and the right tempo. So that in this case where you're going to, fly something in from your demo into the the real recording it, it actually works without <laughs> messing with it <laughs> yeah only laugh at this because it it's uh, as a mixer i'm constantly getting notes especially with people who have demos that they've lived with for mm-hmm. a while I'm, I'm getting notes and then once i go back and i listen to the demo i'm like ah they just want something that sounds a little bit like that mm-hmm a lot of times it's a reverb on the voice or an effects effect right. on something. Yeah. So, Which is cool. I mean, go yeah. for it. Experiment with those things in your demos um, because then that gives you a direction for the tracking or the mixing engineer mm-hmm. um, to, to do something like that. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, totally. That's, I think, all we were really planning to talk about this episode. Wow, these go by really fast. Quick, yeah. Um, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it, and please uh, subscribe to the podcast if you would. Uh, we'll be back uh, in episode three, I guess, jumping into the next step of the process, which would be tr- um, tracking and, and how to prepare for tracking. Cool. Um, we'll see how far we get yeah. um, through that section. Dang, that'll be fun. Yeah. But thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. See you, guys. That's our show for today, folks. Thanks so much for listening to Prepping for the Studio. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to your podcast from. And don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. Episode info and my ebook, A Musician's Guide to the Recording Studio, are available at preppingforthestudio.com. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out there. Prepping for the Studio was recorded and edited at Rarified Recording by me, Roy Silverstein theme music written by myself and Ariel Levine, performed and recorded by Ariel Levine. Many thanks to my co-host Brian Schubel and you. Best of luck to you and your musical endeavors. And remember, as Alexander Graham Bell once said, before anything else, preparation is the key to success. We'll see you next time.